My name is Kristen Thompson. I'm with the Future of Music Coalition. I've been with FMC since it started 11 years ago. Prior to that, I ran an independent record label, and I was in a band that toured a bunch, blah, blah, blah. But it, <laughs> that wasn't what was, you know, uh, whatever. But it's been like this, I think, fascinating time for the past 11 years. All these technologies and services that are developed, from my perspective, running a label and being in a band, it's been really really incredible to see how things have changed, especially for independent artists and for labels themselves. And so, and I'm sure it's the reason, I mean, there's many of you in this room that were the pe people behind a lot of the things that we're talking about today and continue to develop these things. So, so many folks are, I think, are quick to categorize the changes that have happened in the past 10 or so years as good things for musicians. You know, they've, we've overcome a lot of bottlenecks and some, some roadblocks and some hurdles that have always made it really hard for some musicians to access the marketplace. And I think that it's true that musicians' access to the marketplace has greatly improved over the past 10 years. And the, the question that I think is not so clear is how has it impacted their ability to earn money based on their creative, creative output? So that's what um, I've been trying to do for the past little while. There's work with the Future Music Coalition and We've been running this research project called Artist Revenue Streams for the past about 18 months. It's a multi-method, cross-genre examination of how musicians' revenue streams are changing and why. Um, so, you know, we are sort of awash in data all the time. There's folks here that do great work trying to track sort of the social graph and consumer adoption and all these things. But this research isn't about that. It's not about record label income. It's not about market share or any of that, it's about individual musicians' earning capacity and what they end up putting in their pocket and how it's changing over time. So how do you figure that out? So to understand how musicians themselves are making money, we had to ask them directly. So we did that in three ways. We simultaneously did three things. We've been doing in-person interviews with a variety of musicians. We've completed about 80 of them. Everything from, say, jazz players, composers, TV and film people, to uh, salaried orchestra players, rock people, hip-hop artists, and everything. We also did some financial case studies, which we've, we released three of them last at South by Southwest last year. They're really interesting. We have about, probably we're going to have, have nine total. And we've released more of them in a couple months. And those are really fascinating because we've been able to access musicians' actual banking, like sort of bookkeeping, to try and figure out what it looks like if you organize their revenue streams and their income under these various categories. So we'll see more of those soon. We also did a big survey last September, October. Maybe some of you participated in it or spread the word about it. About 5,000 artists ended up taking it. So we are starting to release the data from these, from this, these three different methods. Um, and uh, it's really interesting information. There's a ton of it. So, um, and I have a little surprise for you at the end of this related to that. And you're probably wondering about this chocolates here. So for San Fran Music Tech, um, we're focusing on one particular part of our data outputs or our findings, what musicians say about how emerging technologies have impacted their careers and their earning capacity. So I'm going to be referencing some data from the survey as well as some of the interview findings. Um, and I put the chocolates up because I keep talking about how this data is like a box of chocolates. And I'm trying to, I'm going to pick, pick the very best chocolates for you today. And we can share them all, right? I have some, some chocolates over there. Maybe, maybe a, a, a good audience member can share and pass it around the Hershey Kisses. 
Um, so let's start with a quick overview of the survey. So you have a sense of the type of musicians and composers that participated in it really quickly. So over 5,000 completed the survey, which is really a great number. It was a long survey, let me tell you, and it was very focused on revenue streams. 40% of the survey respondents were spending more than 36 hours a week doing music. So you kind of think, well, yeah, that's your full-time job at, 40, at 36 hours a week. 42% earned all of their personal income from music. You can see a, a little clump here lower in the numbers, but surprisingly, a lot of them were making all of their money from music. The average personal gross income was just above $55,000. So um, that sort of puts them slightly above the sort of, if you took the US population, the sort of average, the mean income of, of personal mean income is something like $49,000. So they're slightly above that. But it does, the personal gross income for us was, hey, what, is, what do you as a, what did you make in the last 12 months? And it could have been something beyond music too. But we also calculated what their earn, um, earned music income is. So we took their personal gross income and multiplied it by the percent of their income they said they derived from music. And that was the average for all of the respondents, 34,455. So that's slightly lower than the US average of all the you know, sort of general population. But I think it's a fair takeaway, take just a fair, fair to say that this survey population is sort of middle class. It represents a middle class living for musicians. Interestingly, they were very highly educated. 80% had a college degree or higher. And in fact, something, let's see, 34% had a graduate degree. So that's really highly educated. 61% had a music degree, conservatory or music industry. And this might make sense if you see this and you realize that for the genres that we asked them, what's your primary, secondary, and tertiary genre, and what genre in which, which one do you make the most money in? And so the primary genre, the most popular one was classical, and then jazz, and we had about 30 different genres people could choose from. So that's a bit about the methodology and a little bit about the survey demographics. Um, now I'd like to just take you through some of the interesting points. We found about musicians, emerging technology, and income. So the first one being, Emerging technologies have had a significant impact on their careers. Okay, that sounds really obvious. So it's not like, whoa, whatever. But it's an important point when you, <laughs> it's an important point when you, when you when, I'll, I'll show you why. So it's um, about the range of technologies and the, the perceptions that musicians and composers have about what it means for them. So it, whether it's about being able to compose something, record it in your home studio, zip the file, deliver it to um, a film a film producer in Los Angeles, or selling music on Bandcamp, or keeping in touch with your fans on Twitter. There's a lot of different ways that people think about technology and the ways they're utilizing it, um, which we clearly discovered when we were doing this work. So, um, and it's having a big impact on not only how they make money, but how they organize their careers. So, um, a couple of quotes from people. We had a jazz manager tell us, how it had, he had leveled the playing field. So we hear this all the time, we actually use this language all the time, but it's interesting to hear jazz people talk about it. We had an indie rock sideman say that technology had provided musicians with the tools to be much more efficient and sort of self-organizing. And from the survey, 
we tried to understand musicians' awareness and comfort using various technologies. So on this slide, you can see about 50 to 70% of respondents were comfortable, or very comfortable, using technologies for common music-related activities. There was the most consensus around using technology for promotion and connecting with fans. Clearly, those are easy, right? I mean, there's so many tools and services out there that make it very easy to promote your music. Facebook, Twitter, all those things. They're easy to set up, you know, don't need a huge... But it's also worth noting that 31% of survey respondents were not using technologies to distribute or sell music. Um, so you might find that puzzling since it's not that hard, you know, uploading tracks to TuneCore or building a Bandcamp page can be really easy technologically, but remember that not all musicians interact with the marketplace in the same way. So there's an army of musicians working in the United States that film and TV composers, um, salaried orchestra players, session musicians, people that just compose, Nashville songwriters, um, teachers, they have career structures that don't involve them making a direct profit off of recorded music sales, and they don't involve building a fan base. So this should in no way diminish their value or importance. We just simply need to remember that the community of creators in America is large and diverse and specialized. And for some of them, questions about how technology has helped them connect with fans or sell music are just simply not applicable. So it's important just to remember that. On the survey, we also asked people about what tools they were using and specifically. And um, we put it into two kind of messy buckets. One of the Bucket number one was, what are you using to help, uh, what things are you using to help um, you record music? And these were the top five answers from Finale down to Logic. There was another five or so options here, but it was also an open-ended question so people could write in other things. And there was another, I don't know, thousand responses of things people were using to help themselves record music, um, which we haven't yet gone through and coded, but it was interesting. Um, the second book, oops, sorry, just to reinforce that, um, a quote from an interviewee about how digital recording devices had made his life so much easier. He was sort of becoming more self-sufficient. Um, the second bucket of technologies we asked about were the ones that help folks um, promote, market, distribute, sell music. This had about 30 things on it. This is just the top 10. <laughs> and uh, you can see there's like a dog pile at the top with Facebook, blogs and websites and YouTube, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, these are well, very commonly used, easy to use. Um, and there was a ton more, and it had, we had an open-ended option at the bottom, which again had a ton more in answers in it. So, um, let's see, uh, somebody, uh, a quote from an interview about how Facebook had not only made it easier to um, organize shows, but also collaborate with people, like she was getting show offers via Facebook, because she she's like a freelance musician, that, like a hired gun, so. We also asked them about how emerging technology had sort of impacted, how, how did it affected their musical career on sort of like a sort of, sort of a philosophical level in a sense. Um, we had them rank things on a five point Likert scale from I strongly agree to I strongly disagree. And just for the sake of simplicity, I just combined a few together. So the green bar is agree and strongly agree. And the red bar would be disagree slash strongly disagree plus strongly disagree. So, you know, some of these are, I think, really empowering. So technology 
helps, allows musicians to communicate directly with fans, it helps them collaborate with others, often remotely, it helps them self-manage their careers. But 37% said their day-to-day -day job was more about promotion than creation. We hear that from musicians a lot, so who are pulled between about 15 different jobs now, um, duties and responsibilities, beyond just practicing and playing shows. Um, and 64% also agreed that it's more competitive than ever. And it's something we've heard from the interviewees as well. Technology has removed these hurdles and bottlenecks. It's leveled the playing field, but it's also allowed a lot more musicians to access to the marketplace. So naturally, that increases the noise and the competition. We heard this really in, clearly from people who do film and TV composing. Um, this, this fellow was talking about how the competitive pressure on him was um, kind of reducing how much he could charge for his work. Because technology has facilitated, it, it's so much cheaper to get set up and started in the, in the game. So, and here, um, I'll just point out that not applicable is a common answer for some of these things too. Like 20% of folks have said that communicating with fans directly isn't part of their job, right? Day-to-day -day work about promotion creation, not applicable. So it's just important to remember that that the same thing about the, the community being large and diverse and specialized. So the next little batch of uh, data from the survey is about specific revenue streams, and we asked them questions about whether they were getting any money from these streams, whether it was changing, and why. So I picked just three. We asked on the survey, there were probably about 20 different revenue streams we asked questions about that were based on a particular role. So people who did composing would see questions about mechanical royalties or sync licensing or composing on commission, where people who, who do participate in the sound recording um, stuff would see these, and plus many more. But we'll just show you these three because I thought they were the most relevant to this audience. So income from digital sales. For us, we, you know, our definition was from the typical music services, we, we, just, we just listed these to try and help people understand what we were talking about when we said digital sales on the survey. Um, when we interviewed people, it was clear that iTunes was the thing that, that stuck out most in people's minds as a helpful technological development. Um, and it might be because they were kind of the first mover in the space too, and they continue, if you see other sources of data, they are clearly the one that generates the most money across the board, it's at the top level, and artists say this as well. Um, so yeah, here's what it looked like when we asked people, you know, have you ever earned any revenue from the digital sales of your recordings? And we had a, a little tagline on each one of them that tried to help them navigate this well, so that we said, okay, this would come from either your label or from your aggregator, it'd be, you know, based on sales on these kind of sites. So. 62%, yes. They'd earned some revenue from digital recordings. Of those who said yes, we asked them more questions. We said, okay, so you've gotten some money, has it gone up or down or stayed the same? So 58% said, it's gone up. And then we asked those people more questions. Hey, people who, got, who said it went up, why? And here's the reason. So of the 58% that said, yes, it's gone up, the top reason, you know, consumers shift to digital purchases. And some of these are really obvious. Like, if you have more releases, you're probably making more money. The, lo the one on the bottom is the one interesting to me. Not a higher price. That's not what's going on. 
Um, we also asked the people, hey, you know, back to this slide, of the 70, 17% that said your revenue has decreased, why is that? More competition. Um, it's, um, this is the negative consequence, again, of leveling the playing field. It's now easy for musicians to participate in the digital marketplace, but now it's flooded with content. And naturally, this means there's more competition for consumers' dollars and attention. It shouldn't shock anybody in this room that that's true. But I think it's important to see that musicians recognize this as well. So just to sort of close the gap on this one. So digital sales platforms seem to be having a positive impact on revenue for musicians who participate in sound recording streams. Let's look at interactive streaming services. Rhapsody, RDO, Mog, Spotify, Slacker. When we ran the survey, it was September, October, so Spotify had been in the United States for only a couple months. But you know, if they were using aggregators, they might be getting money from overseas for months or years. So anyway, have you ever earned any revenue from the on-demand streams of your recordings? Only 35% said they had. Now, this, I think, has a couple of caveats. Um, even though Rhapsody's been around for about 10 years, a number of these services are fairly new entrants in the scene. So perhaps the money hasn't flowed through to musicians yet. Perhaps people aren't reading their statements in full detail to recognize where the uh, stream, the money coming from on-demand streams is coming from. Maybe they just think TuneCore equals iTunes. I, they don't, I'm not sure people look at all the details. There, there might also just be a knowledge gap, too, with artists not really understanding the difference between um, interactive services and Pandora and um, digital sales. But needless to say, I'm reading into the details a lot. Um, there are a number of genres also that I don't, you know, that I think aren't served as well as the pop and rock scene um, with some of the services. But um, when we interview people, yes, they, they talk about the interactive services. Um, not a whole lot, but you know, they, just, they recognize that it's a small but growing uh, revenue stream. Oh, yes, and so we did this, we asked them the same question. So if they had received some money, we asked them, oh, has it, which direction has gone? Half of them have said it's increased. And the reasons why? Oh, look, there's more outlets, platforms to stream music digitally, which is totally true. Um, and then there's sort of the most, com there's sort of understandable ones. I have more records out, consumers are shifting to streaming, more, more of my catalog is digitized, and so on. We also asked the people that 11% of why it's gone down, but we only got like 14 answers, which wasn't significant enough to even show, so sorry. Um, we also asked about non interactive streaming services. That would be sound exchange money from Pandora, webcasts, digital satellite radio, and all those services. This is an interesting one because it's an, obviously a new, it's a revenue stream that's only existed for 12 years. Um, and um, at this point, 13% have currently been receiving money from SoundExchange. I think this one has a caveat too. You might remember that our, um, our population includes a lot of classical folks and they might, they're, say they're in an orchestra, professional orchestra, they might be, their pieces might be being streamed or webcast, but the money wouldn't come to, through SoundExchange to them, it would go through the AFM After Fund. So perhaps they 
are participating in this revenue stream, it's just that SoundExchange isn't the one that's paying them. So it's hard to know because we didn't ask in that level of detail, but. Um, a couple of quotes from our folks. Um, this was really interesting. A lot of, some of the people we talked to really recognized that SoundExchange money or money from digital performance royalties was a significant and growing revenue stream. Um, jazz and the other band was sort of a hard rock band. When we asked them about why, if their money's gone up, 46% said yes. And the reasons why? Oh, they registered with SoundExchange. Well, that's a good start. And, um, <laughs> and then that they're getting more plays, which is great. You know, That's how you make more money. We only had eight people answer the, the other version, so we didn't really have any good enough data. So is there a difference among musicians? And um, this sort of goes to... The, the, you know, I just want to make sure we recognize, recognize that, that there are so many different types of musicians and for whom many of these revenue streams, just it's not applicable. But um, we did try and do this little thing. Um, we built a little, we built a definition called, which we called sort of a shorthand tech savvy. And what we did was we took, you might remember this slide from 10 minutes ago about people's interaction with music services and how they comfortable they were with it. So we took three of them. If, the people that said, I am very comfortable or somewhat comfortable using technology to promote my music, distribute and sell it, and connect with fans. We took those people who'd said those things and we created a definition called tech savvy. And we ran, we ran the data through that filter just to see if the tech savvy people had a different experience than the people who weren't as comfortable with technology in, these, in this fashion. So here's how it looks different. Um, the tech savvy Yes, people are the dark blue bar. Um, and so they're making more money, live performance, selling sound recordings, composition's and merchandise sales. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said they're making more money. Their, their ratio of money is greater from live performance, selling sound recordings, or merchandise sales. It's not that they're making more money. Their, their ratio is greater for those. Because, and then, oh, I'll tell you one more thing. So the changes in revenue from sound recording, the tech-savvy people, they're seeing a bigger increase. There's 14% say their revenue from sound recordings is increasing, 14% more than the other community. But we also, I just calculated the earned music income. The tech-savvy people are making $31,000. The non-tech-savvy people are making more. And that's, that's an important distinction that underscores that, yes, technology is really interesting and we've, we, we can learn a lot from this data, but there are a bunch of people that make money that has nothing to do with technology. It has nothing to do with going direct to fans. It, you know, they're a, a section player in an orchestra, and or they're a pit musician at Broadway. There's a lot of people for whom this, the, you know, they make much more money this way. This way. So, just a few takeaways. I've totally run past my notes here. Overall, digital technologies seem to be having a positive impact on musicians' earning capacity. iTunes is the digital store that most musicians and managers that we've interviewed mentioned as being the most impactful. And digital sales in general is the activity that's most acknowledged by the survey respondents. The caveat being that it only impacts musicians who have the opportunity to make, uh, directly make money off of their sound recordings. We can't forget that the digital in the digital transition, it's as, as great as it's been for many musicians, it's not applicable to others, the session musicians, the salaried players, the teachers, the composers who create works for broadcast and other non-sales options. Um, 
And streaming services are not a significant revenue stream for musicians yet. Perhaps our timing is impeccable with this survey, and we are at the cusp of a new wave of revenue from many, many zillions of subscription service plays. There certainly was hope expressed by the interviewees that, um, by some of our interviewees, that this would be a revenue stream that would be much greater in the future. Um, but as the survey shows, many artists are either not seeing the money yet, or if they are, it's not enough um, to make a dent in their pocketbook. But I think this resonates closely with the ongoing discussions we've been ha even having today about artist payments for stream play streaming plays and the conversations that will certainly continue over the next months and years about the role that streaming services play in all this. So um, we have a lot more data to release. We have so many other ways we can look at this information. These are some of the data releases we plan on doing in the future. Um, there may be more. <laughs> and um, the thing that we're also doing today is that we um, have, are launching a mini site to sort of hold all of these data releases. Um, it's a, just a subdomain on the Future Music website at money.futuremusic.org, and we launched it today, and it has some of the findings that we've already released. Um, we did something about jazz musicians, we did something about people who graduated from conservatories, and we did something at Medem about artists, brands, and revenue. And we'll try and get this one up in the next couple days. Um, and uh, we have more stuff in the future. And um, that's all I have. If people have questions, I'm more than happy to try and answer them. 31% that are not making money on technology. Well, so, so sure, there's a lot of people that, um, say, for example, if you're a session player, you're probably not making any direct money from sound recordings, even that you played on, being put up on, you know, via CD Baby onto iTunes because you were probably paid for your time in the studio and you, you did what most people do called a buyout so you don't have any claims to the copyright or the future revenue from that work. So there's a bunch of people that are session players that just do that type of work on a day-to-day -day basis and they make a living at it and they're full-time musicians. It's just that they aren't participating in the marketplace the way that technology is moving. Yeah. Uh Mike McCready, Music X-Ray. Um, so I think you have this data, maybe it's just not parsed this way, but I would, there, there's just two points that I wanted to see if you could clarify. Mm -hmm. uh, one, when artists say that it's more competitive than ever, is that for the artists who were already in the game and saw a wave of competitiveness come on when so many artists who weren't in the game could get in because technology allowed it? Uh, that one. And the other one, are the artists that uh, are making money now due to technology, do you have data on whether that field just didn't really exist a few years ago, whereas it, it's expanded the pie or is it divided the pie? I guess so, that's my question. Okay, so I'll, ask the, I'll answer the second question first. So this is a benchmarking study. There um, have been very few um, research efforts made to try and understand musicians' revenue streams. There's been a couple on jazz that are really interesting that this woman, Joan Jeffries, has done. Um, and so her work, we've compared our data with hers and it, fairly, it aligns fairly well for the jazz people. But needless to say, we think of this as a benchmarking thing, a place to start. And it might be, I think, FMC's ultimate goal is to try and do this again in five years to understand really understand how the changes are impacting musicians. There clearly are some revenue streams that are brand new, like the digital performance royalty didn't exist until when, Anne? 1998? 95. Um, and um, 
and streaming, interactive streaming money wasn't in an existence either. So there's stuff that we're starting to, um, starting to document now that will probably change a lot in the past next five or 10 years. So is that part one was about the, oh, more competitive than ever. The, we have um, a bunch of quotes from interviewees about that topic in particular that, I mean, we have pages and pages of it about competition. People's uh, mm, perspective on competition sometimes is about there's all these people in the game now, but there's sometimes it's about even competition within their own sector. For example, jazz people that play festivals in Europe. Here was a really interesting one. We actually talked about this at our policy summit last October. And, you know, jazz players have always really relied on the European festivals to, for big, big dollar shows. And they said that they're facing competition because the festivals are um, now programming more broadly. So it's not just jazz, it's now also jazz and hip hop and, and pop. And so some of those artists are now taking the guarantees that the jazz people used to get. So sometimes competition is a complicated word, but it's been interesting to talk to people about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just to reset, yep. I don't know who didn't hear me, but. <laughs> The, the question was is that you're not factoring in physical sales. We know that the record industry as a whole is down by over 50% in uh -huh. 10 years. So we know that the, the pie is physically getting smaller. We know that for a fact. We also know that in 2011. You know that for a fact about what? About whose money? Well, we, we know that recorded music sales are down by 50% in 10 years. So I don't know whose money that is, but right. there's half as many record sales uh -huh. in the last 10 years. So we know that for a fact. If you're looking at revenue streams for sure. digital music, it was zero in 99. So if you're starting at zero, it's going to increase. Mm -hmm. But but the overall pie for re revenue from recorded music is decreased by 50% in 10 years. So I'm wondering how you factor that. The, the second part is we know that in 2011, uh, I think that the stat recently published was 76% of music still sold, recorded music still sold, is compact disc. So mm -hmm. I was wondering if you like yes, for, for legacy for legacy artists who like if you're starting at zero everything looks like a growth mm -hmm. but being that the recorded music industry is half the size it was a decade ago i'm wondering how you're factoring that sure. in looking at musicians revenues thank yes. you so we have other data that i just didn't show today because for time we ask about recorded music for physical like cds sold in stores cds sold by you at a merchandise table because it's still physical product and uh the third one on that one we have no, we have, we, have two digital, we have two physical questions. So we have the same type of questions that, did you make any money from this ever? Yes, no. It, has it gone up or down in the past five years? Yes, no. And then why? So we have a whole bunch of data about that too. So we will be rolling it out in other results if you want to see it. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely be releasing it, yeah. And it's interesting, like we, some of the folks we talked to, they said the biggest um, vendor for their own physical CDs is themselves, that they are the one that sells the most records because they take them on road and they sell them on their merch tables, including jazz and classical ensemble people. Yeah. Yeah, we, uh, every, every of those combinations had its ultimate, like sort of opposite pair. So yes, higher and lower price were always um, against you. Like we always had both. We never just had higher and not and then nothing. So higher in price and lower price always went together, if you know what I mean. Um, but we didn't ask about what's the op optimum price, no. Uh, hi, Mark Smotroff here. Um, you mentioned at one point you had a quote where people were making more money, seeing that they were making more money off of satellite than digital streaming or internet streaming. And do you know offhand what the current royalty rates are? I haven't been following it, mm -hmm. but I know that the internet streaming 
is one rate that's really, really low. And I think satellite's different and maybe higher, yes. which might be explaining that. So Sure. Um, I, I would probably defer to Antetovitz, if you wouldn't mind. Is, it, is the rate, the satellite rate is a percentage of their gross, right? But still, the check's coming from SoundExchange, and the artists we talk to, they're like, yeah, I, I noticed that money. Okay. So, yeah. Well, when we talked to them, it wasn't pennies. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we had, we, there were some artists in our, um, in the survey that said they were getting, making money from grants, but we, we didn't ask them how much money. We just said, did you make any money from grants? Because sometimes it's, there were about 25 revenue streams where we knew there were sort of smaller likelihood that people were taking part in them. So we didn't ask details about how much. We just said, do you make any money from grants? We talked to people a lot about it in the interviews, and there were certainly, a variety of grants, um, mostly the jazz and classical folks have better access to grants than anybody else. Yeah. I have time for one more and then I gotta go. Uh, yes. Do you have any information on revenue generated from uh, videos on YouTube? Yes. And uh, meaning not licensing your music to YouTube for other videos, but videos that artists the post YouTube on YouTube. The YouTube partner program. Yeah. Yes. We asked people about it. We said, did you make, ever make any money? Just like the grants thing, do you, have you made, ever made any money from YouTube's grant program, I mean, partner program? And we have yes and no answers to that. Um, I don't know them off the top of my head, but we also t interviewed a bunch of, not a bunch, we interviewed a decent number of people where there was, they were making a significant amount of money through the YouTube partner program. It was like kind of the core of their business. Okay, but no, but no actual figures for how much that was? Uh, from the interviewees, we'd have to ask them about what, what they'd be willing for us to disclose. But um, when we asked in the survey, we knew it would be a kind of a, a niche group. So we just asked, have you ever made any money on this? So we just have a yes, no kind of fact on that one. So thanks a lot, everybody. Really appreciate your time.